Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. In your Bibles, and go with me to 1 John chapter 3. We are moving right along. In fact, we are going to uh, plan, I believe, if, as long as everything goes according to plan, which it rarely does, uh, we're going to wrap up 1 John just before Thanksgiving. I believe the, the week, uh, two Sundays before Thanksgiving, so then we'll spend a week uh, doing Thanksgiving, and then we're going to take a break, and we're going to do Advent, uh, because I could not skip Christmas. All right, so, so we're going we're gonna to do Christmas. Uh, for the month of December, and then uh, we will come back and pick up in First John uh, in midway through January and, and finish that uh, next spring. So uh, I'm so excited about where this book is going. I've enjoyed this so far. I hope that you have as well. This morning we come to, to a text that, that deals with sin in the life of a believer. So the last couple of weeks we've looked at how to be ready for Christ's return and how to how to make sure that we're uh, that we as believers are are set that we're we're ready uh, for when He returns that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, namely living by faith. We've placed our faith and trust in Christ, and uh, that we're following after Him. And today we come to the issue of sin in the life of a believer and how we how we address sin in our lives. Uh, and, and we're going to see what John has to say about that. So if you will, stand with me and let's read together 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. These verses will be on the screen, uh, so follow along, read along with me. It says this, Everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed so that he might... And there is no sin in him. Everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or know him. Children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who commits sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin, because his seed remains in him. He is not able to sin, because he has been born of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning asking that you will open up uh, your word to us. We ask that this morning you would reveal sin in our lives. And that we wouldn't just brush it off, but that we would deal with that sin. That we would take sin seriously. We would would come to understand it for, for what it is, an offense and an affront to your holiness and your righteousness. Will you make us as your people, men and women and children who are constantly being shaped and molded into the image of Christ. That day in and day out, we might look more and more like him. We can't do this on our own. We need your grace and we need your mercy. So we ask that that those will be um, evident and abundant in our lives 
today. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you. We're going to look at three things this morning. Uh, Three, three things I believe John is trying to trying to say to us about sin and the life of a believer and why uh, sin or not not just acts of sin but a pattern of sinful disobedience cannot and should not be present in the life of a believer. And the first reason that John's going to say that is in verses four and five. He's going to point out that Christ came to remove sin. Look with me again at verses 4 and 5. He says, everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And then in verse 5, he says, you know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins, and there is no sin in him. He says the whole reason Christ was revealed is to take away sins. Christ came to remove your sin and to remove my sin. The Bible tells us that he lived a perfect life sinless life, and then suffered the cruelest death imaginable in order to remove your sin and to remove my sin. You see, our sin cost Christ Jesus his life. In your notes and on the screen uh, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul talks about what's been called the glorious exchange. He says this, he made the one who did not know sin, just as we sang a while ago, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now what just happened is you had nothing to bring but sin, and Christ had nothing but righteousness, and, and what Christ did is took on our sin and gave us his Righteousness, the glorious exchange. Now listen, I'm not a I'm not a guy who bargains a lot, Cam. I'm not a guy who gambles a lot, but from our end, that's a good deal. Or as they said in Dances with Wolves, some of you are too young to remember that one. Uh, Dances with Wolves, that's a good trade. Good trade. He takes my sin and I get his righteousness. Consider the weight of that verse. God made Christ who knew no sin to be sin for us. He did. Christ did what we could not do. And then Peter says it this way. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. You want to know why sin in the life of a believer is such a big deal? Because sin was costly to Almighty God, and it was costly to Christ Jesus. How dare we make light of that which cost Christ his life, and which cost God his only son. And I'll I'll just come right out and be be very blunt. If you can look at this and and then claim to be a follower of Christ and say, well, but it doesn't really matter how I live because I placed my faith in Christ. I walked the aisle. I prayed a prayer. I hopped in the baptistry tank. I've got my get out of hell free card. Now I'm going to live however I want. And I'll slap that sucker down when I walk through the pearly gates. You are not a follower of Christ. If you can say it does not matter how I live, 
You have not come to understand the weight of sin. So please hear me. Hear me today, church. Take stock of your life. Does your sin still bother you? Because Christ came to remove sin. Listen, are we going to live sinless lives? Absolutely not. And yet our lives cannot be marked by an ongoing, unrepentant pattern of sin. In fact, this is where John goes next, because he says, not only did Christ come to remove sin, he says Christians must renounce sin. Look at me at verses 6 through 9. It says, everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has... Oh, sorry, I skipped ahead. Seven. Children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. Then verse 9, everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him. He is not able to sin because he has been born of God. Now now really quickly, um, the Greek text, Greek and English are not exactly equivalents. English is a poor vehicle to say what the Greek says. And so the, the best way that, that, that our translators have known to translate uh, in verse 4, and then again in down, down in verse 8, uh, says, everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. In verse 8, the one who commits sins is of the devil. The one who commits sin is of the devil. Now you might look at that and say, wait a second, I commit sin. What does that mean for me as a follower of Christ? The, the, the weight of that word, um, it carries the idea of devoting yourself to sin. Of not just stumbling and falling, but actually looking for ways to sin. Making plans to sin. So, so listen, if you've been a Christian for more than a minute hear this. Are you going to still sin as a follower of Christ? Yes. Absolutely. Until the day you take your last breath or Christ returns, you are going to sin. You are going to fall short. And was that sin taken care of at the cross? Yes, absolutely. Unequivocally, it's paid for. But a believer should never find themselves in the place where they're not just stumbling and falling, where they're making plans to sin against God. So so the question I would ask here is simply this. If if you claim to be a follower of Christ, how are you spending your time? Are you making plans to glorify God, or are you making plans to sin? Listen to these words from from Scripture. Uh, Romans 6.12. Paul's writing here, he says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Don't let sin reign. Romans 13, 14, uh, Paul puts it like this again. He says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and don't make 
plans to gratify the desires of the flesh. Um, let me just clue you into something about you that, that, that you may not know or that maybe you don't want to admit. You're not nearly as strong as you like to pretend you are. You're not nearly as strong as you like to pretend you are. And, and, and listen, I'm not either. If we're not careful to guard our lives, to guard our hearts, we will be led astray by sin. Because the Bible says that, that even though that old man's been put to death, he's still fighting in us. That old man, the person we were before we came to faith in Christ, is still fighting inside of him. And if we don't make plans to put him to death, he will pop up in areas we never experienced. This is one of the things I tell the ladies that come on Thursday night often. Um, so, so we have a group of ladies that come from an Alcoholics Anonymous house uh, to our Thursday night service. Uh, ladies whose, whose lives have been marked and, and in many cases ruined to this point by uh, an addiction to drugs or, or alcohol. And so uh, one of the things I tell them often is, is look, should, should you deal with your addiction to alcohol? Yes, absolutely. But I also tell them, listen, don't buy this lie that once you kick this addiction, it's going to be smooth sailing from here on out. Because sin has a funny way of popping up in areas that we least expect it. So don't be surprised by that. Don't be surprised that you're still struggling with sins. Maybe in some cases still struggling with sins that you've struggled with your whole life. Seek ways in your life between accountability to other believers and through confession to God and to others to put sin to death in your life. But listen, you're not going to be perfect this side of heaven. And if that's your expectation, you will constantly be frustrated in God and disappointed in yourself. But hear this, I understand this. God's not disappointed in you. Do you know why he's not disappointed in you? Because he's not through with you yet. He's still working in you and through you. And if I could, it, I, this is not in my notes, it's not on the screen. If I could uh, direct you to any verse right now to highlight and underline and slap on your mirror in the morning, go to Philippians chapter 1, verse, I believe it's verse 5. But Paul gives us this great promise. Got to find it. I got a new Bible. All my pages are still sticking together. 1 6, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul says this I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Listen, that's a promise that God's not done with you yet, but he is faithful to complete what he started. And if you are saved, we've talked about this the last two weeks. If, you've, if you're saved, if you're a follower of Christ, he's got a masterpiece planned that is you. Don't despise the process of getting there. And how do we take steps to, to get where he says we're going to be one day? 
We do what Paul says here. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't make plans to gratify the desires of the flesh. Hey, look, maybe you're here and you'd say, man, I'm just I'm stuck in this pattern of sin that I can't seem to kick. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't, I don't know if it's maybe maybe you're beating yourself up because you feel like you should be further along than this. And if that's you, um, let me invite you to come in and set up a time just to visit with me. I don't go. I don't go sharing stuff. I don't even share stuff with Michelle that, that shared with me. What you share with me stays between us. But I would love to pray with you and help you through working on some patterns of sin in your life, so some destructive patterns of sin. In Galatians 2, Paul tells us why we should put on Christ, why we should make plans to gratify the desires of the flesh. He says it this way. Traditionally, this is Galatians 2.20, and the Christian standard, they, they added this into verse 19. I'm not sure why they did that, but it's the same words, even if the numbers are wrong, or if the numbers are off says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul was looking at his own life and saying, listen, the, the old Paul doesn't even live anymore. And as we said earlier, we know that that old man in your life and in my life still fights. But he's been put to death. His fate is secured. That person doesn't exist anymore. He says, I don't even live. My... I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I'm not living in, in, in such a way to, to glorify Kyle. I'm not, Paul would say, I'm not, I'm not living for Paul anymore. I'm living for Christ. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul's letter to Titus, he, he puts it this way. This is in your notes. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts, and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He said, This life that we now live, we renounce sin. We deny godlessness and worldly lusts and live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. Because we think we're better than everybody else? No, not by a long shot. Because our life is no longer our own. Because we don't belong to this world anymore. Bible says we are strangers and aliens. It says we are exiles here. So the bottom line is this how we live as Christians matters. You can't claim to be a follower of Christ and not care how you live. You, you can't say, well, I love God, but I'm going to live how I want. To be a Christian means that you have died your own way of life. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. Why do we live as followers of Christ? Because we're his. He bought us 
paid for us and set us free from the bondage of sin. Paul in Colossians 1 says it this way. You've been transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. The message of the gospel is not, well, I've got to live a certain way to please God. It's I've been saved. I've been moved from death to life. I've been moved from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. Therefore, I live like I've been saved. C.H. Spurgeon, who uh, pastored the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London uh, for many years in the 1800s, um, has a devotional that you can find free online, and I would I would recommend it to you. It's called Morning and Evening, and uh, it's there's a, a short reading every morning and a short reading every evening. He says this: even though even now though sin dwells in us, its power is broken; it has no dominion. It is a broken-backed snake. We are in bitter conflict with it. And I think you will agree and recognize that in your own life. We are in bitter conflict with this sin. But it is a vanquished foe that we have to deal. See, sin's fate is already secure. And I don't, I've said this before, I don't really get into uh, trying to break apart Revelation and what all that means. I think that's going to be revealed to us in time. But here's what I know at the end, Jesus wins. And if we're on his side, we win. That's all you need to know. In the end, Jesus wins. And all this stuff that we wrestle with, all these sins, all these struggles, all these heartaches, death and disease will be put to death once for all, and we will live with Christ as he reigns. So here's the last things. Uh, th- this is this is going to seem kind of like a well duh moment, but it's it's simply where where John goes next. He says this: Christians must reflect Christ. So we see in our passage that Christ came to remove sin. That Christians must renounce sin, and now instead of instead of living lives of sin, we're to reflect Christ. Are you aware that the term Christian was originally used as a slander against followers of Christ? Christians literally means little Christs. So in the first century, as this new sect that was called the Way began to grow. Non-believers would look at these people and, and in order to slander them, it's kind of a put down. They would say, man, you're nothing more than just a little Christ. What an accusation. What a glorious accusation. You're nothing more than just a little Christ. Listen. They, they might think that that's a, uh, a slander. For the life of a believer, there's no greater compliment that can be. That can be. I... I, I Pray that somebody could look at my life and make that accusation. And this is why I say we have to reflect Christ. Look at verse 10. It says, this is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, 
especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. God's not really mincing words, and he's not giving us a whole lot of gray area here. This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. If you're a follower of Christ, if you're God's child, you're going to love your neighbor. Because let me tell you, in case you haven't noticed, the folks around you will reveal your character really quickly. You know, it's been said that we're at our worst when we're with those who are closest to us. Those around us, the way we respond to those around us, reveal our character. And what John would say here is that love is the primary mark of a follower of Christ. So if you want to gauge your fellowship with Christ, you want to gauge where you're at in your walk with Christ, you want to gauge your maturity, that, that test is not how many Bible verses you know, it's not how often you're here, it's not even how often you're sharing the gospel, it's do you love your neighbor? Matthew 22, we have a really fascinating story of somebody who's trying to trap Jesus. Teacher of the law comes up and, and, asks, and asks him, uh, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment in, in all the law? Bo- boil the entire Old Testament down to one law. What is it? And they were looking to trap him. They, they were looking to try to get him to say something by which they could make an accusation and finally get rid of him because uh, Jesus was causing all kinds of problems for the religious leaders. By, by hanging around with you know tax collectors and sinners and, and, and prostitutes and, and the, the people that the religious folk didn't want anything to do with. So he's making them uncomfortable and, and questioning everything they've been taught. So they come up, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment in the law? If we can only keep one command, what is it? And Jesus responds this way, Matthew 22, verse 37. He says, said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. And wouldn't it be awesome if he just stopped right there? Love God. Hey, I got no problem with that. All your heart, soul, mind. Um, Sure, I can do that. Yeah, yeah, let's check that off. Love God. Got it. But he doesn't stop there. He says, but the second is like it. And you notice how Jesus answered this guy's question, and then he kept on answering it after he thought he was done. What's the greatest command? Love God with everything you are, but but hold on. You can't stop there. A second's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he says this, all the law and the prophets, that's his way of saying the entire Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi, hang on these two commands. Love God, love others. Not only that, he even even had the gall in the Sermon on the Mount to go even further than that. Matthew chapter 5, 21-22, he says, You've heard that it was said to our ancestors, Do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. You've heard that it was said to our ancestors, Don't kill anybody, right? Yes, we've heard that. Most people in the crowd probably checked that one off on their uh, daily list of good deeds. Don't murder. Check. Yes. But I tell you, everyone who's angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Perhaps your translation says uh, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister has already committed murder in their heart. 
Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. See, it's not enough just not to kill your neighbor, although you shouldn't do that either. But murder never started with that act. There's always an attitude of hate that arises. Jesus took this loving your neighbor thing, and remember he said, you've heard them said, uh, love your neighbor. He said, I'm going to say you love your enemies as well. In fact, Jesus even went so far as to say that our enemies just might be our neighbors. Pastor uh, Kenneth Bola, who wrote a book called Conform to His Image, a wonderful discipleship book, talks through some different areas of, of what it means to follow Christ. He, he said this, he said, there's no act of loving God that does not have as its end the love of man. We don't stop after love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Because we stop there, we don't understand what it means to love God, because to love God with everything we are means that his love is going to pour out from us into those around us. So look, the Christian life on one hand is really simple. Love God. You love God, don't sin against him. Love God completely. Love others compassionately. And yet, how often, even in those two things, do we fail? You want, to, you want to be a person who shows that you love God in your life? Renounce sin. Put sin to death. And on those days where you don't do so well, remember that Christ has already paid for that. That he came to remove your sin and to give you his righteousness. But don't stop there. Don't, don't stop with knowing that you are loved and forgiven by God. Show that same love and forgiveness to those around you. Reflect Christ to the world around you. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, man, I'm not even sure that I'm a follower of Christ. I'm, I'm not sure that I've crossed that line of faith from, from death to life or from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved son. And if that's you, I would love to visit with you about how you can make that jump today, how you can be moved from death to life through Christ's sacrifice on your behalf. Now he'll do exactly what he promised. He'll take your sin and give you his righteousness. Maybe you're here today and you say, man, I, Kyle, I have no doubt that I am a follower of Christ. And yet I'm not doing so well right now. Maybe you just want to come and pray at the altar and, 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 and ask that God would renew in you a sense of obedience, a sense of joy in your fellowship with him. And so if that's you, I would invite you to come and, and pray at the altar or come and, and grab me. I would, I would be happy to pray with you that God will restore that in your life. And then leave here 
or stay here, depending on what you're doing this afternoon, and reflect Christ to a community. You know, the, the statistics on New Mexico are that our state hovers around somewhere around 90% lostness. 90% of the people in New Mexico do not have a relationship with Christ. So let me go so far as to say this afternoon, this evening, you're not going to have to look for folks that don't know Christ. This is the one day a year they will literally be flocking to our parking lot. How are you going to reflect Christ to them? How are you going to let them know that First Baptist Church loves them? But it gets even better than that. There's a God that loves them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the chance to gather together and open up your word. We, I stand in awe of your grace and your mercy that was shown to us in Christ Jesus, that, that you made him who is sinless to take on my sin so that I might receive his righteousness. I will never understand how you love me that much. I'll never understand why you love me that much, but I am oh so glad that you do. And as people who claim to be followers of Christ, may we never get over the fact that we are so undeserving and you are loving and gracious and kind beyond measure to us. Reveal sin in our lives. May we be people who are quick to confess quick to recognize sin in our lives, quick to confess it. I pray that your grace and your mercy will be quick to remind us of who you are and what you've already done for Christ, what already done for us in Christ Jesus. Pick us up, dust us off, and put us right back <laughs> on the road. As we are people who walk in repentance and faith, may we reflect Christ to the world around us, not as people who think we have it all together, not, not as people who think we're better than anyone else, but as people who have understood what it means to be forgiven in Christ Jesus. Use us to push back the darkness in Alamogordo. Move in our hearts these next few moments. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 1030. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening and may God bless you this week.